Oh, mama, I'm in fear for my life from the long arm of the law. Hangman is coming down from the gallows and I don't have very long. Welcome to Father's Day weekend at Life Church. Ladies, can we give all the men a big hand? Just can we give them a big hand right from the very beginning? Woo! All right. I see a couple ladies there like, I'm not clapping for that. So uh, it's great to have you here on this Father's Day weekend. And, you know, let me say this from the very beginning. Many times on, like, uh, like a Mother's Day weekend, you know, we just... It's flowers, and it's just like really nice, and the message is all about how beautiful you are and radiant you are, and everything's wonderful, and you know, they do brunches all throughout the city for you, and all that kind of stuff. The Germantown campus, there was a new building that opened up just for you, Um, and then for Father's Day, we just don't do any brunches. Like, what's up with that? Like, men are like all you can eat. Have you ever thought about that? How politically insensitive the world in which we live in is and how things are falling apart. There's no brunches for Father's Day. And, and, and then, and, right? Can I get a witness in the house? Am I telling the truth? Tell the truth and shame the devil. I'm just telling you. And, and then, you know, and then you get to church, men, and you, you go to church, right? Which is a good thing, right? Because you, right? Amen. Don't shout me down when I'm preaching good. And then when you get there, all they do is yell at you about what a worthless person you are, Right? <laughs> And how you need to do better and how your family's falling apart and it's your fault and you're going to hell. And by the way, won't you put some money in the offering? You know what I'm talking about? So what I decided this week is we just take a break from the traditional Father's Day and we're just going to have a little bit of fun and uh, we're just going to celebrate every man that's here and uh, just kind of encourage you. Is that all right? And then, yeah, come on. That's that's it. It's good stuff. Woo! And then as you noticed on your way in today, we're doing a few other few things just for you men. We've got a brat fry going on. So if you're a, if you're a, a man here today, uh, even if you don't like this, uh, we have a, a free brat and soda as you leave. If you're not, then you have to pay for it, but it's a buck. So don't like get mad at me, right? You know what I'm talking about that? Uh, and as you leave, men, there's a wing contest, W-I-N-G, from Buffalo Wild Wings. It's the hottest wings. So if you can eat one of the flaming hot wings from B-Dubs, then you're entered into a gift certificate, like a $100 gift certificate, to the restaurant or to the place of your choice. You want to, like, uh, Fleet Farm? We'll get it there for you, all right? Uh, and then there's a, a fast pitch pitching contest, and whoever has the fastest pitch, that's a $100 gift card to a place of your choice. And then classic cars and motorcycles out front. I mean, I'm just telling you. And that's some nice stuff out there. Nice stuff. If those people gave those vehicles to Jesus, what could, I'm just teasing. No, I'm just joking. I'm just teasing. But uh, it really is wonderful. And so today, napkins are optional and belching is permitted. Is that good? All right. So when I think of men, I think of family. It's hard for me to think about that without thinking of like team sports. Because I think the family is kind of like a team sport. And, uh, and, and every team needs a good coach. And, and in Wisconsin, there's many great sports programs uh, historically and currently. But when I think of great coaches, 
in Wisconsin, I think of Coach Buzz Williams, uh, the head basketball coach at Marquette. And uh, Coach Buzz and his family attends church here at Life Church. Uh, he's a, a friend of mine. And um, he's been the, the men's basketball coach at Marquette for, for several years now. He's got one of the winningest uh, records right up with Al McGuire. The only thing that he has left to do, in my opinion, is win a national championship. No pressure, Buzz. And, uh, but last year, he took the team to the Elite Eight the, weekend, the year before that to the Sweet 16. I think this next year may be a, a national championship year. So what I did was I went to Buzz's office at Marquette University and just interviewed him. Uh, and so what I want to do is I just want to take you to his office and interview him on what it takes to be a winning coach in today's time. Check this out. Hey, Coach Buzz. Uh, it is so great to have you uh, just to spend some time with me here in your office here at the uh, University of Marquette, and uh, wow, man, I'm just amazed. I just look around all these pictures and all this, and, and uh, on this Father's Day weekend, we're talking about coaching and how coaching is like being a father, and so I just want to talk to you for a few minutes about coaching before we talk anything about, about, about fatherhood. Um, as, a, as a winning coach in a very highly competitive uh, sport of basketball, NCAA Division I men's basketball, talk to me about what kind of time commitment does it take to be a winning coach? Not just a coach, but a winning coach in this day and age. Yeah, that's good. That's a good question. I, I think the separation, whether you're in coaching, Aaron, um, in, if, if you're in church leadership, no matter what organization or profession that you're in, I think the elite, the best ones, no matter their field, um, understand that it's not a job, that it's a lifestyle. And so... Uh, as the coach at Marquette uh, in the tenure that I've had here, I don't look at my job and say, well, we're, hopefully if we're really good, we'll play 35, 36 games, and then I'll take four or five months off. Um, as you have said before, the work is done in the silence, and that silence is when we're not playing games. And so just because we're not playing a game or on TV or uh, I'm not in the public eye, my responsibility to our program in order to be successful is a daily, ongoing, nonstop um, job. And so I don't look at my job as a job. I look at my job as a lifestyle. So all of that requires sacrifice and dedication. Uh, talk to me a little bit about as a coach, uh, how do you uh, do that and fulfill that and how do you get that out of other people? Yeah, that's good. What are those uh, sacrifices? Yeah, that's what? real good. Oh, well, I would say number one, it's time. Uh, that would be the greatest sacrifice because uh, as you grow older, um, whether you're 18 or whether you're 40 like you and I are, um, the t your time is the most valuable asset that you have. And so I've got the same amount of time that you have and those kids have the same amount of time that we have. So how are we going to utilize that time? And that becomes... Uh, the separation. So there has to be a high level of energy on your part and then being able to get those those teammates, the uh, your coaching staff, everybody that makes this work. Uh, what does the energy look like? Talk to me about yeah. the energy of coaching. The, uh, specific to my job, that is the, the most disciplined, difficult part of it because without energy, none of this is going to work. And with average or okay energy, then you end up having an average and okay culture. You have an average team. You have an okay winning percentage. And that's, uh, that's not what I want to be, and that's not what any of us want to be. But it's human nature 
to want to relax. It's human nature to go, I'm deserving of a break. But I think the separation, uh, Jim Collins says it in Good to Great, what's the difference between good and what's the difference between great? And so he's written uh, Good to Great, and it sells in every language that there is, and he's made millions of dollars. And really what the book says in 325 pages, it says the difference between good and great is 6%. And I really think the difference between our organization and other organizations that would be comparable the separation has to be the energy and that's not just the energy on the day of the game that's the energy required to prepare for the games but more importantly for these kids to be prepared for life for them to be prepared academically to earn a diploma from here so you have to have unbelievable energy on a daily basis not on a quarterly basis or a sometime basis uh, I, I tell our kids and I tell our coaches, uh, guys that we recruit or guys that we hire, um, so you understand that I'm transparent. Th this is a 24-7 deal. And that doesn't mean you're going to be in the office 24-7. Uh, and that doesn't mean that I'm going to be in the office 24-7. But our responsibility to this program is 24-7. And that requires an enormous amount of energy. And that's why Aaron... Uh, when I talk to you in, in uh, June, I look like a halfway normal human being. <laughs> and then when you see me in January and February, I've gained 20 pounds and I look worn out and my voice doesn't work. And it's because of the energy required to answer the bell every single day. Well, as true as in coaching, in a family, God has established the dad, as I would say, as the head coach. And that's what I want to talk to you about. And I want to talk to you men in the room about what that means, biblically speaking, uh, your job and your role. And again, I want to encourage you today. I'm not trying to beat you down or, or, uh, or in any way put you down, but to encourage you in the God-given role that God's given you. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn me to Ephesians chapter 5. I'm going to give you multiple scriptures today. They're going to be on the screen if you don't have a Bible. But Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21, the Bible says this, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So he doesn't just start talking about the home. He's talking about as brothers and sisters in Christ, we should be willfully, mutually submitting to one another in Christ. Verse 22, wives, submit to yourselves to your own husbands as you do unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. Now, this isn't a power trip. It's not a dictatorship, uh, much to the contrary. It just simply defines the roles. The way I like to say it is that when you have a husband and a wife, a man and a woman, they're of equal value. That's the way the Bible puts it. They're of equal value in the sight of God. But they have different roles. Um, and so you have to have someone that is leading. Uh, in an organization, in a family, in any type of a, union, a unit, anything that's got the more, than, more than one head is a freak, right? If you saw a person walking with two physical heads, you'd say something's wrong. And just you would. And so the reality is, is the same is true in an organization or in your family. If, if there are these two opinions that are constantly butting heads against each other, these, these two ideologies that are constantly clashing against each other, there, there's no peace, there's no rest, there's no cohesion, there's no alignment. Quite frankly, there's chaos. But when there is leadership that's there, then things come together. And that's why I say, men, God has established you as the dad, as the head coach. So what do you do, and what does that mean, biblically speaking? Well, I just want to give you a couple things, and then I'm going to pray, and we're going to be dismissed, and we're going to have some brats. Amen. Glory to his name. The first is that the coach calls the place. When you're talking about coaching, the coach calls the place. But the coach also is submitted to a higher authority. 
In a, in a professional setting, it's probably a general manager. In, in, a, in a more collegiate or, or high school setting, it's going to be an athletic director. Whether it's a GM or an AD, the coach may call the play, but he submitted to a higher authority. She submitted to a higher authority. The same is true of a dad. God is the ultimate authority in our life. But he's entrusted you as a father to call the plays in your family. And he gives us an example of this, of what that looks like, of what it looks like to be a person of authority and under authority in Luke's gospel, chapter 7, where Jesus enc- encounters this centurion. He's, a, he's basically a man of authority, uh, and, uh, but he's a man under authority. He's in the Roman government, and uh, his master has asked him to go to Jesus and to basically to ask for the healing of his daughter. And so the centurion comes to Jesus, and he asks Jesus, would Jesus heal his daughter? And Jesus says, just a minute, and I'll be with you. I'm doing some other things right now. And the centurion says to Jesus, "Uh, hey, it's okay. Uh, You don't have to go. All you have to do is say the word, speak the authority, and it will be done. Jesus literally stops what he does, and Luke records these words in verse 8 of Luke chapter 7. For I myself, Jesus says, Uh, excuse me, the centurion says, I'm a man of authority and with soldiers under me. And I tell this one go, and he goes. And this one come, and he comes. And this one I say, do this, and he does this. And Jesus goes on to say in verse number 9 and verse number 10, no greater faith have I ever seen anywhere than this. He says this guy gets it. He gets the fact that he is a person of authority, but he's a person under authority. Men, that's what we're called to be. We're not lords. We're not called to be dictators. We're not called to, 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 to rule and reign. We're called to be men of authority, but to be men under authority. To be under the authority of God, to be under the authority of, of his leadership in our lives, and to submit to that, and then to lead well the families that he's entrusted to us. And as a dad, if we're going to call the right place, we've got to be in tune with the authority that God's placed in our life. We've got to be in tune with God. In order to know what right call to play, play to call, excuse me, we've got to be in tune with that. So the big question comes, well, what's the play? What's, what's the play that you call for your family? What, 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 what are those things? Well, a couple of things. Do you have a vision for your family? Do you, as the head of your home, as the leader, as the one who is a person of authority and under the authority of God, what is it that God wants to do in and through your family? What's the vision? Whether you're just starting out in life, Maybe you're a young man and you're single. What's the vision that God's got for your life? What, what's, what's the vision if you're a young married couple? Say, we don't have any kids yet, but what's the vision? Where's God taking you? Do you sit and talk with your wife and say, here's what I feel God leading. How do you feel about this? We're on a team. That's one thing Tammy and I have done all of our married life is to say, this isn't my life. This is our life. And I may be, in, from God's perspective, responsible for leading, but we're a team. And we do this together. And I believe God will speak to me and he'll speak to you. And, and I'm going to lead and, and, and you'll confirm that. And if you don't, then we stop. Because where there's no peace, we don't move forward. What vision do you have for your family? What plan do you have for your family? What strategic plan? Maybe you're in the thick of life. What, what's your plan for your kids? What's your plan for, your, for, for their future? What plan do you have? Not just for their education. What plan do you have for them spiritually? What do you want to see happen in their life? As a father of two daughters, I can tell you this. The greatest ambition that I have for my children is not a particular degree or, or an earning amount or, or a societal status that they would achieve, but simply this, that the will of God would be the greatest ambition for their life. That the will of God would be the greatest ambition for their life. 
Men, we are great at having a plan for everything, for our business, for retirement, everything. But we can sometimes forget to have a plan for the most important team that we lead. That's our family. So important calls that you play. Excuse me, plays that you call. I'm going to get that right in a minute. Where is your family going to go to church? Do you know, statistically speaking, if the wife makes a decision to go to a particular church, it's less than 50% of the time that the husband and the children will follow. I'm not saying this is right or wrong. I'm just saying this is reality. But if the husband makes a decision to go to a particular church, 96% of the time, the wife and the children will follow. Where's your family going to church? Men, where is your family going to serve in that church? Well, I just thought just getting them here is a good enough thing. Yeah, but where are they going to serve? Where are you going to serve? You know, you're, you're leading. You're leading by example. You can't give your kids what you don't have. You cannot reproduce in them what you, what's not, what you're not. And, and, and you can't take them where you've never been. Where, what's the family going to serve? Where are they going to serve at in the local church? Where are you going to serve at in your community? Remember, you're teaching. You're leading this team. Uh, how many activities are your kids going to be involved in? Why would you ask me that, Aaron? What, what pertinence does that have? Because many times I see that children can take basically the corner office in our, in our families. They can almost overtake the master bedroom, if you would. And so all of a sudden, Johnny and Sally's activities become the paramount thing. And we spend inordinate amount of time and energy and money trying to take care of Johnny and take care of Sally and trying to get them to every activity instead of going, time out, this is killing our marriage. Time out, this is killing our family. Remember, children are a product of your marital relationship. They're not the center of it. They're a product because you love your wife and you've come together. God has blessed you with children. They're a response. They're a product of that. But there will be a day when they will be gone. Oh, soon and very soon. Hallelujah, right? What a day that will be, right? You know what I'm saying? Okay, so I'm just saying they'll be gone, and in that moment, there'll be two of you. Don't let them run hostage your family. Don't let them seize all of your finances. That's a, that's a good amen for you to go buy a new set of golf clubs, man, or a new hunting rifle or something. But right there you go. Are you letting the team call the plays in your family? Are you taking lead? And so these are the types of questions that you've got to wrestle with and go, what am I doing and how am I doing? Again, this is a dictatorship where the wife has no say. In general, the man leads, but the wife confirms. And catch this out, man, before I move on. If the wife does not confirm, if you don't write anything else down, write this down, men. If the wife does not confirm, then you might need to look at a different play. Can I get a witness? You know what I'm talking about. All right, amen. Second thing that a coach does is a coach trains the team. A great coach trains the team. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and the instruction of the Lord. It doesn't say that to mothers. It says that to fathers, because fathers, we can exasperate them. We train our children to tie their shoes, to ride a bike, to throw a ball. We must also train them in what it looks like to serve God. This doesn't just happen automatically. See, the, and the Bible doesn't say it's the church's job to train your kids. It's your job. I meet men sometimes that they just think like, you know, if I feed my kids M&Ms and Cocoa Pebbles all week long, and then on Sunday I give them a healthy breakfast, they're going to be all right. No, they're going to be sick, <laughs> right? They're, they're going to be malnourished. The same thing is true of church. If the only time that they get any spiritual nourishment is when they come to church on a weekend service, then that's not enough. You have to be training them and teaching them and helping them. The Bible doesn't just say it's the mom's job. It's your job. 
And can I tell you, man, it's the same thing in leadership. There's some things you just can't delegate. I, as the leader of, of, of the local church, as a pastor, I can delegate a lot of things, but there are some things that I have to do, and I can't delegate. And the same thing is true of fatherhood. The same thing is true of, of, of our role and responsibility as a man. Is there are some things we just can't delegate, and training our children is one of them. So, again, I think it's, it's a combination role, but I think sometimes we have to, to stop and and say, am I training my kids? Well, let me give you some practical tips on how to do that. Let them see you worship and serve God. How do you, how do you train the team? How do you train your children? How do you bring them up in the training the instruction of the Lord that Ephesians 6 says? Let them see you worship and serve God. It's good for them to see you singing songs to God. It's good for them to see you lifting your hands and worship to God. It's good for them to see you as a man do that. See, my daughters look to me as a man, all 250 pounds, six foot one of me, and they see how I interact with their mother. And they say to themselves, that's how a man treats a woman. So that when they grow up, they won't go after some half-baked young man who is slouchy and poorly dressed and poorly spoken in the name of Jesus. They won't do that. They'll look for someone that treats them with respect and with dignity. Why? Because that's what they've seen. The same is true in your relationship with Christ. If you want your children to love Jesus Christ with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength, if you don't want them to raise hell when they get in the teenage years, if you don't want them to go out and, and do all kinds of things, maybe things that you did, let them see you worship God. I remember seeing my dad read the Bible on a regular basis. My dad wasn't a very emotional person, still is not. The only time he got emotional was when he whipped us, and that was about the only time he got really excited, and he got animated then. But the reality is, is that I saw him do that. I heard him pray. Let them see you lead spiritually, not just at church, but at home. It's easy to live this life on a weekend, but let them see it on Tuesday morning or Wednesday afternoon or Friday night. Consistency, authenticity. That's how you train them. Practice what you preach. What you want from them, then you in the same time do that. What you want them to do, then you in turn do that. Life's decision, uh, uh, basically to lead them back to, to God's word and everything that you do and everything that you say. As you're leading your children, that would be the other thing I would say to you is, as they deal with life's decision, take them back to God's word. Take them back to chapter and verse. Show them how to make decisions in life. Don't tell them what to do. Teach them how to do it. Don't tell them, don't do this, 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 and this. But show them how to rightfully make healthy life choices and what those life choices look like and how they work. That's our responsibility, men, as, as the coach of the team, to train the team. And many times we want to relegate this to the wife. We want to relegate this to the mom. But the reality is it's our responsibility, the Bible says it right there, to train up our children in the instruction and the training of the Lord, to encourage them in this way. That's part of our responsibility. And, and mom has responsibility too, but we have responsibility to lead. We have responsibility to take, to take it forward. Let me say this one last thing, and then, I, I, and then I've, I've got one, one more thing I want to say. I'm going to be done. And that is, men... Don't let your wife be the spiritual leader of your home. Number one, she doesn't want to be. She wants you to be. And number two, your kids need to see that out of you. They need to hear you pray. 
but I don't know how to pray. Then start practicing alone when you're in your prayer time with the Lord. Start, start, just let them see you be real. And when you make a mistake, hey, just own it. We all make mistakes, myself included. But let them see that. And, and I want to say this, and I, I don't mean this in any demeaning way. I just want to say this. Sometimes when I'm preaching like this, the thought comes to my mind, yes, but there are men that sit out there in the room and say, you speak for a living and you're a pastor for a living. This is very easy for you to stand up there on that stage and preach that message. And to that, I would say, you're right. But I didn't learn this in the home of a minister. I learned this in the home of a factory worker. I saw my dad, who was very, very, very stoic, a very non-emotional individual, lead and love God passionately and authentically. He had warts. He had problems. He had issues. He was real, just like all of us. But he led in that way. And that's how I learned to lead my family. So you, in turn, regardless who you are, have the ability to do that. The last thing that a coach does, he rallies the team for victory. The coach rallies the team for victory. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 11. The Bible says, Therefore encourage one another and build up each other just as in the fact you are doing. How does this translate at home? The question is, are you an encourager? Are you an encouragement? Dad, when you walk in the door, are you encouraging? You have that ability to do that. Mothers oftentimes are the more encouraging, the more affirming than the fathers are. But I would contend that a father's affirmation carries weight. Again, I'm not asking you to do something you can't do. I'm just telling you, dads, you have a power and an authority that sometimes I don't think that you give yourself credit for. If you look in the Gospels, Jesus' entire ministry was launched with these words. This is my son in whom I am well pleased. When Jesus begins his public ministry at age 30, he goes to John the Baptist, and John the Baptist baptizes him in water. And the Bible says as he is coming up out of the water, the heavens opened up, and the voice of God, like thunder, said, This is my Son, in whom I am well pleased. If Jesus, the Son of the living God, the head of the New Testament church, the one who died on the cross for our sins, if Jesus needed the affirmation of his father, how much more do your sons and your daughters, dads, need your affirmation? If Jesus needed the affirmation of God the Father, how much more do you and I yearn for the affirmation of a father? I'm 41 years of age, but I still love to hear the old man say, good job, son. Way to do that, son. It still makes me cringe when he goes, hey, what are you thinking, son? You know what I'm saying? It, it's one of those things where the affirmation of a father is something that's unparalleled. And men, I'm just saying, your children need that. Have you told them lately that you love them? Have you told them lately that you're proud of them? Have you looked at them and just said, I want you to know I love you and I'm proud of you? But they're doing wrong. Yeah. If they knew everything to do right and were perfect, they wouldn't need you, right? They need that affirmation. They need that. Even men in our homes with our spouses, encouraging to our wives. Our spouses need that type of encouragement. And all I'm saying is this. I'm not asking you to do something other than open up your mouth and verbally speak what's already in your heart. Great coach, he rallies the team for victory. Men, you have a huge responsibility and an opportunity as, as a coach of your home. 
And the success of your team, of your home, is completely dependent upon you, so no pressure. Right? No pressure. I said I wasn't giving you much pressure, but a little bit of pressure. And we live in a society that desperately needs men to step up and coach and lead their homes. We desperately need, I think probably more so than any other time in our history, we need men to be men. Amen? And we need men to lead. And it's not that women aren't educated. It's not that they're not smart. I have two daughters and I raised them. You don't need to be dependent upon any man. You are strong, smart, and beautiful. Amen. So I don't, don't send me an email that you don't like women, you're down on women. I love women. <laughs> it's not my problem. My problem is, is that we live in a day and age where men need to lead. Lead well your life. Lead well your marriage. Lead well your children. Lead well your home. Lead well your business. And even more so than that, we have a world that desperately needs men who are of authority, but who are submitted to the authority of God the Father that will lead well their lives, that will lead well their businesses, that will lead well their families, that will lead well their marriages, that will lead well their children, that will lead well their home. And in doing so, we'll be an example to the next generation and the next generation and the next generation. This is what it means to be a man. This is what it means to be a man of God. This is what it means to be a person of authority. And this is what it means to be a person under authority. That's our responsibility. That's what we're commissioned with today. So as we close today, I, I want to end today's message uh, with the end of my interview with Coach Buzz as I get his thoughts on leading home and leading his family. Check this out. One thing I noticed about you uh, with all the winning and all the coaching is that you put your wife, Corey, and the kids in front of all of this. Talk to me a little bit about what does it mean for you to be a dad and to be a husband? What does that mean? What does that look like? Well, I think it's the hardest thing that I struggle with, to be honest, um, is the balance of being the husband that God intends for me to be and then also being the father that he's called me to be. Um, our children are not our children. They're his children, and he's loaned them to us. And so within that responsibility, I've got to make sure that I'm the right example as a male, I'm the right example of a husband, and then I'm doing right as a father. And the reason that I struggle with it, Aaron, is not from a priority standpoint, but you heard this, your grandma used to tell you this when you were growing up, you can pretend that you care, but you can never pretend that you're there. Mm -hmm. And so for me, I love my children, I love my wife, but having the priority of no matter what's going on in my world professionally, I still have to have the priority that God asked each of us to have in regards to being a husband and being a father. And uh, I spend an inordinate amount of time praying about this particular subject because it's the hardest thing that I think that I have to fight. It's the thing that I struggle with and am convicted by the most. But talk to me, uh, I guess as we wrap this up, what, what word of encouragement on this Father's Day weekend uh, or uh, that you would give the men of Life Church? What would you say when we talk about the subject of dad being coach and what that means? Yeah, uh, uh, I know that if you're at Life Church, you understand the value of being a parent and you're thankful for that opportunity. I think the thing that happens 
to me that I would that I guard against is that I run so fast. Sometimes it's selfish generated. Sometimes it's for the right reasons, but that I'm running so fast that I get ahead of what my initial and most important priorities should be as a husband and as a father. And I think that uh, similar to what you said last week in your message about Ruth is, I don't know if it was the story of Ruth that impacted me as much as it was what transpired after her story, after she passed. And that was all predicated on that decision. And that's what I believe happens to us as dads is you run, I run so fast that I wonder how many decisions I'm not tending to or that I didn't make and how that impact is going to be multiplied. That's good. And the energy and the passion that you have to have professionally, you have to have more of that passion and energy as a husband and as a father because you're teaching, guiding, uh, maybe molding who they're going to become, in my opinion, as future wives and future husbands and future workers. And the example that you set on that particular day is going to multiply, in my opinion, that impact.